Hi everybody, it's your host Jamie here. This week you might notice that the audio quality of our show is not up to its usual five-star par. And the reason for that is that uh, we are currently sheltering in place due to the COVID-19 virus. And Jack is unable to join us in the studio, but we have him coming through on Google Hangouts and joining us after watching the movie. So you might notice a slight difference in our usual audio quality, but we wanted to make sure that we didn't let this interfere with our ability to entertain you. And we hope that you'll forgive this minor inconvenience for the chance to be entertained and elucidated. So enjoy the show. Oh, guys, I just played the most boring PlayStation 2 game. It was called Dragonheart, A New Beginning. Wait, that's... that's not a game. That's a movie. What? But why were the graphics so bad? Didn't you notice your total lack of autonomy in the story? No, that's how I feel all the time. Oh, no. Oh, gosh. And welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokul, here and here digitally with my draconic co-hosts. I'm Jack Olander, a robotic dragon made by man, but with the heart of a real boy. Oh, that seems dangerous. (laughs) Oh, it is. I'm wanted in several kingdoms. (laughs) And it's Chelsea here, Keeper of the Dragon Eggs. Oh, that seems like a good job. Mm-hmm. Ooh, delicious morsels. It's cushy. All I have to do is shine them every day, you know. Set a little fire under them, keep them warm. Makes it's, sense. It's pretty cushy. I, I pretty much get to do whatever I want most of the time. Well, something you can't shine is the turd of a movie we watched this week. <laughs> <laughs> And that movie is Dragonheart, A New Beginning. And for those of you keeping track at home, uh, this movie is available on Netflix so that you can watch it and have something to um, reference when we're talking about it, if you'd like. That's our little added treat for everybody, I guess, uh, given the shelter-in-place order that some of you might be under or other forms of self-quarantine. So, yeah, go ahead, check it out, gives you something to do for a while, and then listen along. All right, so this movie was directed by Doug Leffler, uh, most notable for being a second unit director on Army of Darkness, a Swords and Satire favorite and previous episode. It stars Christopher Masterson, Robbie Benson, Harry Van Gorkin, Rona Figueroa, Henry O, etc., etc., Matt Hickey. That's that's about it. <laughs> I don't even know most of those names, so... Me neither. Well, uh, the guy who played Drake was the voice of Beast in Beauty and the Beast. 
Mm. Nice. Unfortunately, his audio quality sounded probably a lot like Jack is going to sound in this episode. Wait. <laughs> Jack sounds so much cooler. He's in a robot body now. Oh, right. <laughs> well, before we get too far into the movie, I think Chelsea has a synopsis ready to go. Yeah, in my brain. Poof. Okay, here's a summary for you. Dragonheart. The end. No. Um, <laughs> that pretty much covers it. There's a dragon. The end. Okay, no. Here we go. There's a prophecy, of course, that a dragon's heart will doom mankind when a twin-tailed comet passes over the Draco constellation. That makes sense. So we're like in England somewhere in the in the Middle Ages. That seems right. And um, we have Joff, an orphan stable boy who longs of becoming a knight. Should it be Jeff? It's 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 Middle English for Jeff. Oh, okay, that makes sense. It's it's a little bit. Uh, it has a little bit more spin on it. So you're <laughs> saying that it's just the way it was back then? Exactly. Um, and we've got Drake. The... Like the rapper? <laughs> if only. Um, <laughs> oh man, that is a movie I would watch. Yeah. Um, the long lost uh, son of Draco from the first movie. He's a dragon, by the way. Right. If you couldn't tell by his name. He doesn't really seem to long for anything. He just really wants a friend. So they they strike up a friendship. And meanwhile, Lord Osric is worming his way into the king's good graces and is making some sweeping changes across the land, making it a worse place to live for everybody. Just not a great guy. I don't know. I thought the tunics were pretty stylish. They looked good, I gotta say. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what everyone's complaining about. He makes everybody wear colorful tunics. It depends on when they can be out. Who they can talk to, where they can go. Perfectly reasonable laws. Yes. And once he learns about Drake, he's suddenly super interested and wants to try to befriend him and control him like he controls the king and the rest of the land. Meanwhile, a master Quan and his son Lien are traveling from faraway lands to the east. Uh, and they hail from China. So they are there to try to test the purity of Drake's heart to ensure that he is not the dragon from the prophecy. A high stakes scenario that has very low stakes for the audience if I've ever seen that scenario before. And I have. <laughs> it's a great premise, but somehow it just doesn't translate well in this movie because it really feels like nothing happens <laughs> during the whole thing. But anyway, so Lord Osric befriends both Gioth and Drake in the hopes of getting them under his wing and manipulating them as he sees fit. Oh, under his wing. I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> and he wants to get Drake closer because he knows that if a dragon shares its heart with you, then you'll have the strength of the dragon and you will live forever. Or as long as the dragon survives. Yeah, that pretty much tracks. So that's his ulterior motive. And Geoff and Drake are kind of innocent, so they don't catch on right away. See, stupid. 
and in a very convoluted scene where Lord Osric tries to trick Drake into giving him his heart, they find out that it was all a trick and escape. Dun dun dun! <laughs> then in another confusing scene, Lord Osric <laughs> captures Master Quan and his son, who is actually his empress who's traveling in disguise. I often mistake my son and my empress, so, I mean, I, I think it's fair. They're fighting. Lord Osric sees that she has a magical talisman that has an evil dragon's heart in it, and he gets super interested in it, ends up getting it in a scuffle. Heart of a dragon. I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> and the Empress Lien knows martial arts. Because Master Quan taught her while they were on the road. And she is fighting all the men off. And somehow cuts open Lord Osric's chest. And he sticks the evil dragon's heart in there. Because magic. And he suddenly turns into the evil dragon Griffin. Who was rumored to have tried to kill the emperor in the east. Wait, was it a dragon or a griffin? Uh, it was a dragon named Griffin. Oh, that's very confusing. Yeah, I can see I'm how that. So confused. <laughs> that that's what? like a horse. That's like a horse named Roach. I just don't know what I'm even supposed to see. <laughs> so he tries to get Drake to follow him to subjugate all the humans. Geoff steps in and reminds Drake that they're friends. Yeah. Drake is like. I already have a brother. Screw you, dude. And turns him into an icicle that shatters all over the ground. I mean, yep. not Geoff, Lord Osric. Right. Yeah. It was a real should I nah moment. Yeah. Yeah. During the scuffle, Geoff got an icicle in the heart. I hate when that happens. <laughs> and Drake gives him half of his heart so he can survive. And they ride off into the sunset together. Brothers. Aww. The end. I skipped a lot of convoluted stuff in there for your benefit. <laughs> Wasn't there a narrator in there, too? Yes, Mendel. Mensel. Mensel. Yeah, he was kind of a monk sidekick. Uh, they thought it worked in the first movie, so they thought they'd do it again here. And uh didn't quite pan out. It's not the same. <laughs> yeah, he barely even showed up in the film. Yep. Maybe maybe it's for the better. Maybe we spared that poor man's career. Probably. Well, with that out of the way, I think it's time to head into... The Delve. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Dragonheart, A New Beginning. Well, I thought let's go over some of the lore real quick so that we can try to fill in the listeners on all of the things we learned that we pieced together from this fractured story. Right, so there's this code. It's not a new code. In fact, some might call it an old code. It's a nightly code. It is a nightly code, but it's also a daily code. You have to stick to it all day and every night. That, that's what you meant, right? Yes. <laughs> and it's the same code from the first movie. Is it, though? 
they repeat part of it and it's the same. Okay. I I felt like the code was kind of more open to interpretation as is like the history of what happened because they say that I mean, okay, yes. Technically, Bowen killed Draco, right, in the first movie. But the way they frame it in the story here is missing in the context of the fact that Draco basically insisted that Bowen kill him to prevent the evil ruler from the first movie to be able to, like, live eternally. Right. Well, I got the impression that the things that had happened in history were becoming a legend... And the facts were getting changed along the way. Yeah, I thought that was kind of neat. Because Bowen has already gone into old age and died by this point in the story. And so the information that everybody has left to them isn't quite accurate as we know from watching the first movie. (laughs) So um, they now believe that Bowen killed the dragon to save mankind or something like that. Close enough. To kill uh, Professor Lupin. <laughs> no, but they, they don't say that it's to kill the king. They were saying that he, that the dragon slayed the king. Oh, yeah, then, no, I, I get it. I'm just then, saying we know that that is what actually happened. Yes, but they believe that Bowen was slaying Draco because they thought that Draco killed the king. So they were painting Bowen to be a hero, a hero dragon slayer. Because they are missing some of the information. A fact that Drake would not appreciate. No. Especially since it involves his son. Father. Oh yeah. I'm getting their names confused. Why? Draco and Drake? They're completely different names. (laughs) (laughs) Like Jeff and Joff. (laughs) Yeah. It's true. I am glad though that you brought up the fact that they got the facts wrong from the first movie in this one because to jamie's benefit i thought it had a lot to do with class struggle in the movie actually Ooh, i love it let's hear what you have to say about that so we get a lot of the information about the first movie from the kind of corrupt main of bad guy in this who's kind of putting a spin on it for his own benefit it seemed like right Yeah, he's using the old code to manipulate people. Yes, I actually really love that, because most of the peasants aren't really, like, educated people. They probably would have heard that the old code was something important, but probably would never actually know what it is or have a chance to go verify what it is so they just have to rely on what they're told by the nobility right Right. and peasants couldn't just like become knights the way that often is portrayed in stories like this like you had to basically be born into a knightly family line or some kind of royalty yeah or or no i should say nobility you couldn't just rise up in the ranks true true and that's shown really well when he gets his ass kicked for looking at a knight early on. <laughs> yeah, but, they have a strict social hierarchy for sure. It's true. But I, I thought it was really neat. Like something we would probably have put in our rewriting history to see that the old code, which is this really positive, honorable thing between humans and dragons, was being used to manipulate the poor. Yeah. Yeah, that does seem like uh, the type of thing that we would write. (laughs) And the code was about protecting the weak and keeping a code of honor. 
Something that Osric has no actual intentions of doing. Because he is a dick. Yeah. Then again, so so is Joff. So maybe there is something to, um, you know, uh, this social hierarchy and being a jerk to people. Yeah, he's not a very good friend, you know. He just really wants to climb that social ladder and become a knight. Yeah, Joff is like all pissed off about having to wear the tunic and everything. But Chelsea pointed out during the movie, as soon as he gets the red tunic of nobility, he is all into the class system. Yeah, it's true. He yeah. wears it proudly all the time. It was really a scathing indictment of the concept of upward mobility and what happens to people who have revolutionary beliefs and values and then get a little taste of power and then suddenly they become completely invested in this new system of control because they are the ones able to manipulate the control for their own benefit right now they have um a vested interest in maintaining the system yeah but before that point we kind of got the impression that joff wanted to attain this knightlyhood so that he could maybe make a difference for people he wanted to be more than a stable boy which is a completely uh valuable job i mean it's very stable um, and you know who doesn't need Ouch. who doesn't need their stables clean? He could have come up to become like a farrier, you know, somebody who takes care of the horses and shoes them and everything. He could be a squire. Like he had a lot of potential in his stable person capacity, right? But he throws away and becomes a total class traitor as soon as he gets a little taste of that sweet, sweet red tunic. You just. Yes. Yeah, you see him trying to manipulate people and just laughing about when their mill gets blown up by Drake. <laughs> yeah. Now, we got to talk about that scene real quick, though. <laughs> well, this was Chelsea's favorite part of the movie, so we will let her cover this part. Oh, God. So, um, this is when Master Quan was out in a field with Drake and uh, Geoff and Lien. And Master Quan was teaching him, he holds all the knowledge of the dragons. And so he was teaching Drake how to blow fire. Master Quan knows so much about dragons, he knows more than dragons know about their own physiology. Yeah. And like things that you would think the dragons would know intrinsically how to do, like breathing fire and I guess ice. Yeah, he's trying to explain complex physiological processes to Drake, who has no idea what he's talking about. But he tries to blow fire. He looks like he's about to puke, and then turns around to blow fire and just farts fire all over the humans. This was amazing. I had to look away because of how stupid it was. You mean amazing? <laughs> the explosions in this movie are so over the top when Drake farts a line of fire, then causes a chain reaction of explosions, I was then completely on board with this movie for like the next five minutes. A building completely bursts violent, massive explosions. Yeah, it's like it's like the fart created a methane pocket that it then ignited and exploded at the end of a line. I know. It was hilarious and just horrifying at the same time. Like all my favorite types of entertainment. 
Yeah, I have to say, if you took the images from that scene and put it over a war movie, it would probably line up pretty closely. Oh, yeah, I think so. And not only was it devastating for the peasant class to have their mill blown up so that they can't grind their grains to make bread. Mm -hmm. I like to grind bones to make my bread. Oh, see. Oh, nice. Especially the bones of an Englishman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Classic bone bread grinding Then grift. a new member yeah. of the noble class is laughing at them. So they're adding insult to injury. Yeah, actually, when those peasants are leaving and they and Jeff is there, they call him a filthy dragon lover, and I don't think I was okay with that line. Right. I did not like the implications there. We don't take kindly to people that don't take kindly around here. That was the reaction I had, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, that was distressing. But it did involve some class struggle. Yeah, there's a lot of class struggle in this movie. This movie is living in the fine fantasy tradition of being absolutely 100% about class at all times. So I approved of that. It was very overt. We we see, uh, like we said, you, you get uh, sorted into class based on the color tunic that you're given. Obviously, you're given a color of tunic based on your existing class. There's no real way to get out of it except for when Osric is trying to manipulate system or somebody to let the, to make the system work for him and lord osric paints this as a good thing he he acts like he's giving people a gift when he speaks this edict yes it creates a new law for the land now something else that we haven't mentioned up to this point but it's kind of because the movie doesn't seem to care that much about it is that osric is slipping the king some kind of alchemical concoction to make him dull yeah, and pliable. And pliable, but like I feel like that plot was kind of unnecessary. Like I don't see why they didn't just make Osric the ruler of the land. Like adding this extra layer of him um like poisoning the king and, and like dulling his senses and everything really didn't add anything and mostly detracted from the rest of the plot, I feel like. Yes, it never went anywhere. Yeah, like if nothing it, ever came of it. I really thought that like when at the end Osric came back and the king had just been cured, the king was going to be like, no, hold on a minute. I'm the king and I've been put. It's like, no, none of that happens. Yeah. Like, it just is completely swept aside like many other B plots in this movie, B, C, and D plots in this movie. They just kind of get wrapped up in the weirdest way possible or the most convenient way possible and so quickly that there's never a chance to build tension. Right. And, like, when we see at the end Joff has been shot through the heart with an ice crystal, like, we all know that Drake's just going to give him the dragon heart. And even if we didn't know that, it happens within 20 seconds of it ha of him getting hit. There, there, it doesn't feel like there are any real stakes in the movie because yeah. of that. Yeah. So this reminded me a lot of, and Chelsea and, and I were talking about this while watching, Another Swords and Satire episode, The Night Before Christmas. A movie with somehow less stakes than this one, but still similarly very low stakes. <laughs> so, um, the idea of power and control often goes hand in hand with class struggle, or the theme. And um, there were both overt and subtle forms of control displayed in this movie. Um, the overt being... Chiefly in the new laws 
that Lord Osric kept enacting. Yes. To but review, not wearing your tunic gets you seven lashes, and lying gets you ten lashes. That's Those are some of the uh, consequences of breaking the laws that we heard. Uh, the laws included, as we said, wearing a certain color tunic, depending on your station, your, your place in the social hierarchy. And then he made another law that um, said that people wearing certain colors of tunics couldn't be seen out of doors after a certain time of day. So we're talking about a police state here. Right. And then there were subtle ways that he tried to uh, exert control like poisoning the king so that he would be able to take over. Deceit when he was faking friendship between Geoff and Drake. What you're saying is Lord Osric should have been decreeing himself to get ten lashes because he was deceiving people. Oh shit, you're right. Funny how the law, funny how the laws don't apply to those in power. And for a while in the movie, Another subtle form of control was him using the old code to manipulate people and keep them complacent and have the veneer that he was working in their best interests. But it it becomes overt when later in the movie he just blurts out that's what he was doing. It was terrible. Yes. <laughs> Very heavy-handed. I know. <laughs> Another one of Osric's familiar tactics of manipulating and controlling the population is xenophobia and the fear of others. He points out how, quote, Master Quan and Leon are not like us. The right. Pointing out that the characters of Asian descent are not like the other people and therefore not trustworthy. And besides that, he also has a scapegoat in the Terragos, who are, I guess, a tribal people who may or may not even exist because he set up this very elaborate staged scene where there's a bunch of Terragos in a that have attacked a village, but it's all part of a plot, and the Terragos are actually his men in disguise pretending to fight him. Yeah, and was... and uh and Joff. Like it's a very elaborate setup. To try to get Drake to give him his heart. But like he's also manufacturing an enemy of the people. So interesting. We know that he was trying to get a heart so he can resume his dragon form. So now we know that dragons in this setting can take on a human form. That's a bit of lore that we should have mentioned earlier that's important to know going forward because you know we're going to be watching the rest of these movies at some point. Oh, <laughs> oh God. How many are there, Charles? There's five! That's four too many. <laughs> yeah, the first one's pretty good. Yeah, the first one's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, so I had a, a couple other themes that I think we could combine together here in our discussion. Those of commitment and friendship. Um, we saw the ideas of maintaining commitment to one's code or to one's cause portrayed throughout the movie. The characters uh, from England, home base, jolly old England, were espousing the virtues of maintaining a commitment to your code over friendship, actually. And um, that indicates that upholding a lawful position might take precedence over other commitments you might have. That's certainly what those who write the law would like you to believe. Exactly. And it was those in power in the movie that were repeating 
such virtues, quote-unquote. And then maintaining commitment to one's cause uh, was espoused by uh, Master Quan and Empress Lien, and also the monks of England. They had a commitment to their cause of... You mean God? No, protecting the dragons. Because we found out that they weren't keeping Drake prisoner. They were trying to protect him against those who might want to manipulate him. And, um, or who might want to kill him with an arrow to the heart. <laughs> and Quan and Lien also thought they had, they were pursuing a noble cause of trying to prevent the doom of all mankind. And so they thought that trumped all other needs and they gave up their station in China to pursue this effort. Yeah. Well, Lian is the, is the descendant of a major dragon slayer. I mean, she said that her great-grandfather killed, like, basically every dragon in China. Yeah, and she doesn't seem to want to do harm in that way. She uses martial arts as a defensive tactic only. But she is willing to shoot Drake in the heart. Yes, begrudgingly, because she thinks that if he is drawn to evil, that it would mean the end of all mankind. That's fair. And she doesn't want to hurt him, but she is coerced into it, and she thinks it's her duty. So this is kind of juxtaposed in the movie with a commitment to one's friends. And in the end, everybody seems to realize that having a commitment to one's friends or brothers trumps other commitments. It seems to be the lesson, the moral of the movie. Because in the end, Drake and Joff call each other brothers, and the narrator says that's what they were looking for the whole time. A point that we have not made until the last five minutes of the movie. Yes. It's true. And so the final message seems to be that love and friendship should come before one's lawful code or one's cause that one's pursuing. So in the end, it it is a good message in a way. Although it can lead you to nepotism. So you have to be careful about it. This is a good message with a caveat that we shouldn't just blindly commit ourselves to our relationships that might be harmful. Well, they do warn against that in the movie. I'll add something about commitment and friendship. One of the things is the friendship between Draco and Joff, right? Drake, yes. Yes, Drake and Joff. My bad. Sorry, <laughs> those names, they, they aren't even close. What I, the heck? I know. It was getting me, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Weird. Really weird. I know. Well, anyway, you're supposed to give your heart, if you're a dragon, to someone pure, right? Right. And, uh, you know, I'm no expert on what that means, but Joff? I don't know if I would consider Joff a pure of heart choice. Agreed. No. I think that Joff was a total shitbird. Yeah. From- yeah, he was kind of out for himself a lot of the time, not really thinking about, I think, any of the other characters. Yeah. He was using the the father a lot, the monks. He was using the friar. Yep. He was using Drake. Yep. To be impressive when he finally, when Joff finally gets promoted to like this very official knightly position. He says to Drake, Drake is like, oh man, I'm kind of nervous about this upcoming fight. And all Joff says to him is like... Hey, get your head in the game. Don't mess this up for me. Yeah, right? Yeah, he stops. He starts, like, 
missing commitments he had made with Drake, like to go flying together and stuff. And he doesn't seem to care as much about the friendship anymore. It's true. In fact, the monk probably would have been a better candidate for the pure of heart because he always thinks about what it's like to be Drake. You know, he's a little overprotective, but that he kind of inherited that from the last keeper. Dude, so true. I think we might have a candidate for rewriting history. Oh, here. yeah. Because the, the very first thing we see Joff do, really, is trick uh, Mendel, the, or I'm sorry, Mensel, the monk, to doing his chores so that he can sneak off, and then he robs Mensel of the key to Drake's chamber and sneaks down there and is shirking his responsibility and stealing from a very nice person. A total yeah. rogue, you mean? <laughs> yeah, a total shitty asshole rogue. <laughs> Not like a fun, cool rogue who everyone loves, like Han Solo. More yeah. like a crappy garbage rogue that nobody loves, like Anakin Skywalker. You just called Anakin a rogue? You're a mad liar. <laughs> <laughs> so something else I was thinking of was good and evil are pretty obvious themes <laughs> in this movie, but they're also tied to innocence and knowledge. Okay, I'm listening. So the good dragons want to befriend humans. They want to Aww. help them and Aww. uphold this code together in harmony, right? Living in harmony together. That sounds so nice. Evil dragons, though, they oh. want to make humans subservient to them. Boo! Hiss! <laughs> but Master Quan and the monks uh, that were housing Drake before he got out were intimating that innocence can lead him astray he's innocent it would make him easier to manipulate by those who have evil intentions right it's this kind of mistrust of worldliness right that's very common in, in movies uh where like people who kind of have seen a lot and done a lot are open to the corruption of quote the big city and whatnot but it's also that a lack total lack of experience makes you more susceptible to being tricked that's the idea they were espousing i suppose so i i interpret it more that they didn't want drake to kind of be exposed to the world at large because that would be the corrupting influence on him because the whole point was that he was going to be locked up for his entire life that was my in interpretation okay well i think what what we're actually talking about is the different opinions of the monks and master kwan because i think what you're saying is what the monks wanted to do right and then what i'm saying is that this is what master kwan was trying to warn others of if drake is kept too innocent it could end up leading him astray he might be swayed to eat do evil acts with good intentions Right. So that's why he wants to teach him all the lore of the dragons, all of the knowledge of the dragons. And so there's this message that knowledge can bring you wisdom and it can keep you safe and it can give you autonomy to make the right decisions. So uh, that, that was some of the messaging from Master Quan's dialogue. It's true. But another thing that I thought was interesting was our main friar throughout the movie, our good friar friend. Mensel. Mensel, yes. He mentioned when they were at the lake teaching Drake how to spit that they were actually going to let him out 
once the comet had passed and the prophecy could not be fulfilled. Ooh, good catch. I missed that part. Okay. Yes. It must have been uh, because I was uh, curled up in a ball after a giant dragon loogie got hawked onto Joff's shoulder. Yes, a lot of body humor in this movie. And body horror. Yes, there was a lot of body horror, too. When the villain was shape-changing from human to dragon. Oh, my God. I was scarred for my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) He peels all of his hair off in one one swoop. And then you see this rigid, like, fetus Vulcan head, right? Or Klingon head. Yeah. And, and horns start like piercing out of it and he starts getting claws and ooh. It was one of the worst transformations I've ever seen. The Between the evil heart and the evil dragon transformation, like the movie went from zero to Lovecraft in that moment. It was crazy. Yeah, it did. We, yeah. Got, we had some real cosmic horror for a second there. I know. But you know, um, Drake wasn't the only one whose innocence was making him easier to manipulate. I also noticed that Geoff was innocent in the ways of the world, like you were saying, Jamie. And he was easily swayed by the lure of prestige, like a station <laughs> in life. And the idea that he would be accepted into the castle. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he was innocent. I, I think ignorant, sure. <laughs> I mean, he was a thief and a liar and a scoundrel and a layabout. Innocence and ignorance are kind of equated in this movie. That's fair. Not always in, you know, real life, but in the movie they kind of are one and the same. And the king is made to be kind of like an innocent through this drug he's being fed. Yes, He is kept complacent and, like you said, pliable. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, when the villain comes up to him with this document, the king in his drug haze is like, oh, what's this? And the bad guy's just like, oh, it's a document that means you're going to give me everything you own, including your rulership, if, you know, you die unexpectedly. And he's like, oh, just that and then he like (laughs) the bad guy guides his hand and stamps it with his official like signet ring yeah the king is just like better go back to my soup or whatever (laughs) was that was that when he was juggling yeah oh yeah and he was accidentally hitting people with apples just whipping apples across the kingdom uh, across the courtyard you're getting better every day my king (laughs) cool what else you got jack i liked the representation of the Empress in this movie. Yeah? Yes. I think she was a very strong character because she spoke to, you know, her master that she was traveling with in a respectful way because he was her teacher. But he also kind of respected her as the Empress in a lot of ways, too. They almost seemed like they were equals a lot of the time or deferring to each other. They had Which a, I really liked. They had a nice mutual respect for one another. Yeah. It's true. She was also strong because she could kick everybody's ass. Yeah, dude. <laughs> That's another thing. She was so lethal. She could fight, like, an entire squadron of knights by herself 
And then an even bigger squadron when her master was around. Yeah, I really don't know why they even bothered giving up to Osric when he rolled in. Like, I feel like they could have easily cleaned the courtyard with all of those guys. Um, who knows? Probably a morality thing. It did but seem like that to me. Also, she's very smart because she was aware that England at this time, if this is England, If that is your real country name. It's true. She was aware that the restrictions on women were really heavy, so she came disguised as a man. And at a certain point, which, I mean, that's very smart. Yeah. Just in general. At a certain point, when the main characters, most of them are locked up in a cell, she has everyone else hide, and then she makes herself look feminine, and the guards don't recognize her, and she's humming this tune. And then the guard comes over, is like, oh, I'm gonna come in, uh, like, what's going on? Yeah, come here so I can shackle you and you can't do any funny business. And then she kicks his ass through the bars by herself. He's just like, oh, a lady can't do anything that would harm me. Yes, exactly. And then she unlocks the gate and tells everyone to get out. Normally, in movies, the woman would use her femininity as a ploy to, like, trick someone, and then someone else would kick the guy's ass but she did both both. (laughs) (laughs) that's empowerment (laughs) it's true so i thought you know that was good representation for her she probably was tough enough to be the protagonist of her own movie if i'm being honest i know you're kind of making me think we should give her a starring role in our rewriting history oh yeah i mean Joff is, like, one of the least interesting, least relatable perspective characters I've seen in a film for this entire series. At least for a while. At least for a while. (laughs) I guess Dar's kind of a dickhead, too. Oh, God. He's (laughs) one of the worst. (laughs) But he has animals, at least. (laughs) Uh, That he abuses. (laughs) Yeah, fair. Tortures the hell out of him. But that's pretty much all I had to say about that. Yep. Cool. Oh, another thing I actually did want to bring up is no love interest. Well, what about Drake and Joff? Okay, <laughs> I guess that's true. No, um, <laughs> no, no ordinary love interests. Only the extraordinary. <laughs> I, that is a good quality of this film. I appreciate that since those plots can be very uh, heavy-handed and annoying when you've been inundated with them. All right, well, on that note, I think it's time for Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood. This is Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood. The part of the podcast where we take a look at the primary antagonist of the film and determine if they were misunderstood, or evil, or stupid? So guys, Lord Osric, what's the deal? You know, he's evil, but I feel a little bit like it's unfair because, like, it's so obvious he can't even hide it from people. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he is the evil dragon griffin in disguise. Yeah, but maybe he's just living up to people's expectations of him, you know? Ooh, disgust. Well, how is he able to break out of that? I mean, everybody expects him to be evil. Mm -hmm. What if he just wanted to move to England to get away from that? I mean, he was creating a strict social hierarchy. 
Not a and, fan of that. And being a little bit too punitive, but he was trying to blend in with the humans and start a new life there. Yeah, I mean, one where he ruled over everybody and eventually uh, usurped power from the king, but... I mean, don't get me wrong, he was evil. I'm just <laughs> saying that in another world, maybe he could have had a redemption arc. <laughs> so we're taking more of a nurture-over-nature approach here. Yeah. I kind of see where you're coming at with this, actually. Because in this movie and the first, it's common knowledge that dragons were originally rulers of the world yes. and used to work with humans in the old kingdom of Avalon with King Arthur. That's right. And only when they started being genocided did they, you know, did they kind of start losing a lot of that power and coexistence. They took a step back and said, now hold on a second, we don't like this whole genocide against us business. We're going to start breathing fire and farting flames on you. It's true. I'm pretty sure that dragons that fight back against humans have more in common with uh, Magneto ah. than they do with some other villain. He, they're, they're a little bit more understandable because they're defending themselves. Right. And Yeah. Yeah. So I could see him as being misunderstood, actually, because it, like I think it's pretty safe to assume he's an ancient being. Yes. Yeah. He was bigger than Drake. He yeah. was... He was definitely an adult dragon. And if there's one thing I know about dragons, it's that the older they are, the bigger they are. It's true. So, he's probably been through a lot and watched the last of his kind to be slowly murdered off. And he's probably, you know, really in a wrong way, idealizing the ancient times when dragons were kind of like in a higher status. Yeah. Well, he and actually, so he does idealize that he talks about it at the end overtly so you're right yeah so he's probably seen his entire world crumble apart because of humans it's, i would not be surprised if that's his motivation it well it was because um master kwan admitted later in the movie that all the dragons had been killed in the east because the emperor had them all killed. Yeah. As re as retaliation for Griffin, this is um the dragon form of Lord Osric. His name is Griffin. His home is in China, and he was trying to get his fellow dragons to fight back against the humans. And his brothers, the other dragons, turned against him and killed him and took his heart out. Or they? I would be pissed too. They claimed he was dead. But we know that they let him go in human form. Yeah. So how? So, wait, so does he get like a new heart when he goes in the human form? That's not a dragon heart. That... It's magic. Don't think about it too much. <laughs> My brain. <laughs> yeah. But so they present his heart to the emperor to save their brother's life, but try to sue for peace with the humans. But then the emperor has them all killed. Not cool. And so. Maybe, you know, Griffin has the reason to feel the way he does about humans. He doesn't feel like he can trust humans. That's fair. I think your Magneto comparison is pretty solid here. Yeah. Like somebody who we can kind of understand where they're coming from because of the world that they've lived in and the things that they've seen against their own people. If they had leaned yeah. into that a little bit more in the story, it could have been actually really compelling. It's true. 
Also, yeah, Jamie's a sucker if you bring up Magneto. Magneto's one of his favorite villains. (laughs) (laughs) I do love Magneto. It's true. I get Magneto. (laughs) (laughs) But another thing that I noticed in the film was when Draco died in the first movie, he became this celestial form that drifted up into space, showing that he was a good dragon. Right. Went into heaven, right? In this movie, when Griffin dies, he shatters into ice fragments, and he does not go to the dragon heaven. I know, you're making me so sad saying it. (laughs) Yes. So what you're saying is that in this world, good and evil are actually inherent in the body, much like in D&D. It's potentially, yeah. In your heart, probably. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, because... A dragon's heart determines whether they go to heaven. If you give your heart to save the life of a human, you have to make sure they are good, because if they're bad, you don't get to go to heaven. But if you're Whew. a dragon with a bad heart already, you don't get to go to heaven. So, yeah, it was really unfortunate that Griffin was so full of resentment that he couldn't make it up there. I don't know how I feel about the theology and moral philosophy of this world. I know. It's pretty brutal. It's not very forgiving. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a real bummer. I know. It seems kind of unfair to me. Oh, I remembered what I was going to say based on that. Yes. Because of this, my theory is, my personal theory is that it is the destiny of the dragons to die out. Oh. Like they were early on guardians to set humans on a better path because so far what we've seen from every dragon is they are here to teach a moral lesson to the humans. Right. right. Yes. And and if they try to resist the humans, they don't get to go to their dragon afterlife. But if they work with humans, they do get the dragon afterlife. So I think it kind of showcases that to dragons, the afterlife is the ultimate goal. And being teachers, like Draco actually mentioned in the last film, their role is to be teachers. Right. That's that's pretty much their one purpose. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure they taught King Arthur the code, the old code. Yeah, exactly. So I could see Griffin as being misunderstood and evil. And I don't think he's stupid, because politically it seemed like he was doing a very good job. I mean, his ploy was pretty stupid, but I guess it mostly worked, except that um, Joff saw that he wasn't stabbed through the heart with the spear. Right. Yeah, but that was like, that was that had to be a pretty good medical check, I think. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. He was just like staring at him, and he didn't even see the blood. He just like did not believe, or maybe it was an insight check, because he did not believe that he was actually wounded. Yeah, he dif- he disbelieved like pretty hard. He rolled like yeah. a critical success on that. Yeah. Well, I think we've come to a consensus then. Let's head to the smithy. Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a rating for this movie in 1 to 10 swords after sharing an epic moment or feature from the film. Chelsea, would you like to go first? 
Oh boy. Um. We know that your favorite scene is the fart of doom, <laughs> so you can just talk about that. Actually, you know what? I think an epic feature of this film is the fact that Drake was living in a giant library for most of his early life and that's kind of like my dream so like if there's an apocalypse i'm gonna go straight to the library somewhere chelsea has the real heart of a dragon (laughs) yeah and just read all the time so um just don't drop your glasses no (laughs) so it seems like he was living the good life for a while there In my opinion, so Sweet deal, that's my yeah. epic feature. And uh, I'm going to give this movie four out of ten dragon wings. <laughs> All right. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen, and it's far from the best. Okay. But yeah, so it was fine. <laughs> I think that if I were 12, I would have loved it. Oh, nice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the CG somehow got worse from the first movie of the second movie i assume and even that's though, because the budget got worse yeah even though the first one was made in the mid 90s and this was from 2000 so that you'd think the technology would have been better <laughs> so yeah four out of ten dragon wings all right jack your epic moment or feature and your score in dragon wings i guess remember if it's an odd number of dragon wings the dragon will not be able to fly correctly Oh, you're right. I didn't think about that. <laughs> what was the friar's name again? Mensel. Okay, we kind of mentioned it a little bit, but didn't go directly at it. One of my epic scenes was when they were teaching Drake how to breathe ice, potentially, or fire, when they were teaching him at this lake where he couldn't burn things down, and they were teaching him how to spit. We briefly mentioned that he drools on Joff's shoulder. Yes. But we don't mention that they're training him how to spit really effectively. <laughs> and at this part, Minsel is kind of storming off in a fit because he doesn't like the way they're treating Drake. And Drake spits this just massive like cannonball of loogie out which just like annihilates Minsel. yeah rush over to help him up he he just looks like he's ready to like his soul is already starting to leave his body (laughs) his will to live is nearly gone he was devastated (laughs) it's true he was ready to die (laughs) yeah take me oh lord i am ready yeah i do not want to have to leave through cleaning this up <laughs> in that moment that, you know that was the greatest test of his faith he's ever received <laughs> yeah and then he gets kidnapped immediately afterwards so i think that scene's pretty funny <laughs> and they beat him up too poor mince dude oh rip i mean he's yeah. still alive but <laughs> yeah, he's still alive but he got uh you know he got messed up so i think i'll probably give this movie five dragon wings oh no awkward flying yeah maybe it has like four wings and then the fifth wing is like a tail wing like a rudder used for directional steering i was just thinking the same thing nice (laughs) is aren't we just creating toothless yeah yes god yes Yeah, that's right. But five, because 
the pacing was just like it was not great which is saying something in an hour and 20 minute movie it's true it wasn't even an hour and a half i noticed that myself it yeah the pacing was not great there were a lot of scenes that didn't matter a lot of subplots that were really like in theory very cool but never led to anything yeah and what's up with that <laughs> but um yeah five five dragon wings because there were things in this movie that i found very cool like the bad guy i actually really liked yeah i liked uh pretty much yeah actually wait no it's mostly the bad guy i liked <laughs> drake i liked i did like drake yeah i did too and uh so yeah five all right what's okay. my score you ask I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so my epic moment slash feature is that uh, some of Leon's uh, martial arts are pretty cool and I think pretty well done. But two moves in particular that she does that I really appreciated because they were basically wrestling moves. She does like a move where she's sitting on one of the guard's shoulders and she like rolls forward and throws him forward, which is kind of like a roll up pin, uh, roll up pinfall maneuver in wrestling. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then towards the end, she does the flying head scissors takedown, which is one of my favorite wrestling moves. It was pretty awesome. She was amazing. Yeah, she did a lot of like cool like splits punches and some cool like mule kicks and stuff. So a lot of, a lot of neat, pretty acrobatic stuff. I thought the fight choreography was mostly decent. Some of it was very hammy. But now that I think about the fact that Osric was fighting with like the two swords in that one scene where he's actually not trying to kill the guys because they're his men and he's being like a big ham and everything. Now I'm like, oh, is he like actually knowing that he's being performative and trying to put on a good show because he's like trying to convince uh, Joff that like this is big and epic? Like... Oh, now it's like layers on layers of, of his deception. Maybe it's so hammy because it's supposed to be. Right. But I doubt it. But I, I think I'm going to have to um, agree with Chelsea. I'm going to go with... No, I'm sorry. I'm going to give this movie three dragon wings. It was just... <laughs> It was punishingly boring. Uh, there were a few, <laughs> there were a few fun things in it, but just the whole time I was kind of like, none of this matters. There's no stakes. Why did they even do this? Like, I like that they referenced the original, which was a pretty fun and cool movie, but just overall, it was just a mess, and I was not really enjoying it. So yeah, three dragon wings that are. Uh, very tarnished. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you're giving the dragon three wings, hoping it'll never fly. That's right. <laughs> yeah. This dragon cannot fly. It must be grounded permanently. I was clinging to the little morsels they gave us of the awesome fight scenes, the martial arts, which were actually pretty cool. And so I was clinging to those little morsels of engagement they passed down to me. <laughs> Just starving yeah. for entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Also, Osric, I thought he was a surprisingly cool fighter in that scene. Yeah. When he was dual wielding, he was actually kind of like tearing up. Yeah. It seemed like he was having fun. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm exhausted from this. I think we'd better head to the bounty board. Good idea.
wander down the deserted streets, passing villagers at a safe distance as you go, your plague mask hanging heavy over your face, the smell of herbs and spices packed into the beak, wafting up into your nostrils. Through your goggled eyes, you see a board, posted documents. What be this? You pull the nearest page to your face, and it reads, This is a message from us to you. We hope that you're doing well in the face of this pandemic. We hope that you and your loved ones are safe and taking care of yourselves and your needs and being careful not to potentially spread the COVID-19 virus to anybody else. Yes, so we are honoring the uh, shelter-in-place order to try to do our part to stop the spread of the virus and we hope that others join us in that for their own health and the health of others as well. And whenever you can safely get out to take a walk or at least get into your yard, try to do that so that you can stay connected to nature because I think that will be one way to help us get through this. Yes. And for many of us, being away from school or work is a big difficulty for us. But coming with being at home and being forced to take walks, there are a lot of hidden blessings. So even though times might be tough, make sure to try and see the brighter side of your situation because it's there and there are probably plenty of people who are happy to stay connected with you because a lot of people are going through a similar situation. So stay happy, stay healthy. (laughs) Yeah, and reach out to your friends online and maybe play some games together. Have a chat on a digital VOIP format or just type a message to somebody and and text and just just have a nice conversation connect with some people all right that's your bounty let's rewrite history this is rewriting history the part of the podcast where we Come up with an idea for a sequel, a reboot, or a spin-off of the movie we just watched, which was Dragonheart, A New Beginning. Dragonfart. Am I right? More like... <laughs> you are right, because that fart that the dragon had in this movie was probably the most noteworthy part of the film. Yeah. But guys, we've already touched on it. Joff is a real boner. Nobody likes him. He's a douche. <laughs> yep. I don't care if he was on Malcolm in the Middle. This kid wasn't it. But Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's where he's from. Yeah. But who do we all love? That's right. It's Mansell, the pious, dedicated, hardworking monk who becomes I mean, first off, he's the narrator of the movie. So kind of the character whose perspective, even though we're kind of following Joss' perspective, really we're getting more of Mansell's internal monologue. Right. And his thoughts and everything throughout the film so we're already kind of splitting this journey so we got to really laser this thing in mansell's the one who meets the nightly code requirements and it's more interesting i think because he is a monk and not a knight so is he a paladin Mm. Mm. does he go or does he become like a battle cleric we've got some cool options here yeah and he cares about the way people treat each other and dragons 
Yeah, he's he's got the charisma, obviously. He's mm-hmm. got the caring compassion. Right. Yeah, it's true. I don't even know if he has to be a fighter as much as he could inspire Drake to do the combat. Oh, so he's a bard. Yeah. <laughs> he or could... just a support cleric, you know? Right. right. Oh, yeah, yeah, that works. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that he obviously was reading to Drake because there was a desk down there. So he probably worked down in Drake's home in the dungeons. It was well lit, by the way. Yes, it was. And um, was pretty cushy down there. And uh, he probably read to him down there. I like that. Sweet dragon cave. Mm-hmm. Not like a cave, but like, you know, like a dragon cave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I like the idea of them forming the true bond and maybe even getting to see a little bit more of him helping to raise Drake. Oh, nice. Because he had been there since Drake hatched, I think. Yeah, it's actually kind of a fucked up thing that Drake forms this bond with Joff when, like, Mansell's been there the whole time, like, taking care of him along with... Along with Friar Peter, I mean, kind of a dick move on Drake's part if you think about it. Yeah, I know. He doesn't even really crave adventure. No, he's more like Mansell. Yeah, he he loves the land that he was born in and he wants to make friends with people and protect people. So, What if the new beginning that the title alludes to is a more peaceful diplomatic approach to problem solving? Yes. What if Drake going against type of being a dragon, becomes a negotiator, a diplomat. And he. I mean, I think the dragons would actually be very proud of him for doing that. Yeah, it seems more in line with, like, the dragons of old, as the teachers and the guides to humankind. Yeah, and uh, how are we going to bring Lien into this? That's a good question, because we got to really, uh, as much as I want to see, like, the diplomacy and everything... We gotta lean on those sweet martial arts skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. I mean, there's still a bad guy in the scenario. And listen to this. Listen to my theory. Two bad guys. Ooh, wow. Double the evil? I'm listening. Yes. So, the friendship starts between Joff and Drake, right? Just the same. Normal. Just the same, right? Okay. But the thing is, when he's fighting with Griffin in his human form, I forget what his name is. Osric. Yes, when he's fighting with Osric, you know, when they lean in, they do kiss, right? Oh, scandalous. That's right. And so Joff, instead of going back to hang out with Drake, is schmoozed into staying with Osric, yes. Oh, man. It's kind of a right-hand man sort of thing. Nice. And so... The Empress has to team up with the Friar and Drake because uh, they have to stop the kingdom from, you know, becoming evil and save their friend who was coerced by the bad guy. Now, this is a perfect story arc for Joff, who is so quick to give up his morals and throw down with anybody who's willing to give him just the tiniest taste of power. I think this is a much more fitting storyline for all the characters. Yeah, it's a much more believable character arc for him. Yeah, and I'd love to see the final fight where Drake and Griffin are about to throw down at each other and Joff, you know, he's not actually an evil guy in my mind, right? 
he's just like kind of a bit power hungry. So when he sees how this is about to go bad, and he kind of likes his friends, you know, he's not like a bastard who just like hate them suddenly. But you know, he doesn't want to see them be hurt. So he's like, oh, please, uh, please, honey, don't attack my friends. And then uh, Griffin, the evil dragon, is kind of like looking at, uh, uh, he's looking at Drake and he's looking at Joff deciding whether or not to kind of let his heart be softened and go back on his evil ways and live his happy life with Joff. Oh. Or he's too consumed by hatred. And I think in the end, he should betray Joff and go and still try to kill Drake. And then Joff has his redemption arc when he decides to fight for his old friends against Griffin. Nice. So to some extent, the diplomacy still follows through in that they're able to get Joff back on their side. But in this scenario, it sounds like Griffin is still too far gone down the rabbit hole of evil. I think so. But the thing is, I could see in this scenario, Joff feels quite a bit of, you know guilt for betraying his friends and because of that there's a backlash of loyalty where after that he becomes kind of the second in command for the group of friends and maybe he serves as like a traveling guard for the empress you know what i'm saying i don't know if the empress needs a guard but maybe that maybe that's the setup right like Nobody's going to suspect that the Empress is going to be able to, to throw down like that. So Joff is just kind of like the decoy. Right. Right. Oh, maybe Joff sees that his own knights aren't strong enough to help. And so he get, receives training from the Empress. Because we see that in the movie. Nice. He's training with her a little bit and she keeps whooping his ass. Yeah, and he, he does use one of the moves that she teaches him on the guards later on. So maybe, oh yes, since her master died, and she's kind of like the really good martial artist now, Joff you, it becomes her disciple, and she becomes his master. Nice. Now she is the master. Yeah. Wait. Yes. <laughs> okay, uh, I like it, I like it. And then Mansell and Drake become the chief advisors, co-advisors to the king. Yeah, because the king is still around, and, and now his, his head's on straight. And they influence him to be more diplomatic and treat his people better. Mm-hmm. Maybe to start to unwrite some of those terrible laws that Osric put into place. Exactly. I like it. So what are we going to do with Leon, though? We, we've, we've got her doing some training and everything, but we want to blow up her character. Not like with a dragon fart, but like make it bigger and better and, and more central to the plot. I would like it if both she and Mansell start teaching Drake about how to be a good dragon and how to be a good person, basically. And she talks to Drake about how for so many generations before Griffin, they had lived in harmony with all of the dragons in their land. Okay, so she kind of inspires him onto the peaceful path. She tries to instill this idea in him that it is possible. She wants him to know that it has been done. So we give her some more dialogue, a little bit more significance. She can impart wisdom to him. She's not just a fighting machine. I like it. that's good. Yeah. And 
Mansell can teach him about the importance of friendship and brotherhood and what and the difference between good and evil. Yeah, it sure would be nice if the theme of like brotherhood or we'll call it family was presented a little bit sooner than the very end of the movie where apparently these two characters wanted it the whole time. Like pepper pepper that into the dialogue along the way that they feel like disconnected and that they're they're looking for something they can't quite put their finger on it. And perhaps um, since they are befriending an empress of China, that they will influence the king to create a trade network with her. Oh. And they will have diplomatic uh, relationships. Yes, let, let's make sure that this is a positive <laughs> trade network where both sides benefit equally. Exactly. Because, you know, this is fantasy. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, guys, I love it. Let's get to work and um, we'll make Dragonheart 3 because that's not a thing, right? <laughs> I guess this is a rewrite of Dragonheart 2. Exactly. So. A, a cleanup of it. A, a, a yeah. second try. Yeah. A, a rewrite of the rough draft that was the script. <laughs> yes, exactly. We just had to finish it for them. Yeah. It was nice of them to show us this work cut, but like, we need to go reshoot some <laughs> scenes and... Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm I'm pretty happy with that. So, how about a side quest? This is the side quest where we give you a recommendation for another piece of fantasy media that you should be checking out. Instead of Dragonheart A New Beginning, after Dragonheart A New Beginning, definitely watch the movie and then see if uh, you agree with us. But here's something that was inspired by watching this movie. I think Jack has a little suggestion for you. It's true. I have connected my AI consciousness to the web. <laughs> nice. played many games. And now, <laughs> I'm here to tell you about Dragon Age Origins. <gasps> The beginning. A, yeah, you got it. It's a pretty fun game, I should say. Because, let me tell you, I've played through it quite a few times. There are so many different endings, so many different beginnings, and so many different ways to play the game. Would you say that there's many origins? Oh man, I think I would actually. Alright. For those of you who have played Mass Effect, it's by the same companies, and it feels very similar to that. You have a little squadron of people, you have many dialogue options which affect the relationships with other characters. You can be a rogue, a fighter, a caster, and fight to save the world from a plague of monsters that are coming up from underground that are controlled by the soul of a fallen god. Fighting a plague, you say? Yeah, exactly. And one of the enemies in the game, Drakes. Oh, spoilers. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Also, there are a few dragons in the game, too. So have fun with that. Unfortunately, most of the dragons are evil. And so, you know, you know what you got to do there. Uh, but... Negotiate with them so that they take a different moral tact in life. You can do that. So, okay, cool. I got it. Yeah. So be good. Be ruthless. Be yourself. You'll have a good time with Dragon Age Origins. I guarantee. Strong words. Nice. Yes. All right. Well, on that note, we'd like to thank you all for tuning in this week. And 
We hope that you're taking care of yourself and your loved ones. Uh, be sure to pop on over to Apple Podcast or Spotify and give us a rating. It really helps people find our show. You can follow us on social media. You can you can find us at Swords and Satire on Instagram and Twitter. And you can join the Swords and Satire Facebook group. And that way you'll know what movie we're watching next. You can see some sweet, sweet memes. And generally just keep in touch with us and let us know what you think about the show uh, there too. And if you have any questions, we'll uh, read them on the show and answer them. So send us the questions your way or your opinions. What you think of uh, Dragonheart A New Beginning. But until next time, Hail Crom! Dragonfart. Dragonfart. Yep. <laughs>